welcome once again into the Soccer OG. That's me, Max Pretos. This is episode 35. And it's a bit of a malaise today, a day after the United States in a performance unlike I've ever seen, where they were never going to score, losing to Panama 1-0, putting their World Cup campaign off the rails for now. Chance to get back on it. We will discuss that in stoppage time later on the program, and we'll get into it. I'll roll up the sleeves. I've always defended Greg Berhalter and this U.S. team, but time for some criticism and heavy criticism. Also, and a pick-me-up here, and we'll talk to the U.S. national team discussion as well with him, Franklin Leonard, his brother Marshall Leonard, former MLS player. Franklin now heads up the Blacklist, which is doing amazing thing for screenwriters, connecting them with opportunities to get their scripts made. We'll talk about Hollywood a little bit. We'll talk about Ted Lasso. We'll talk about sports and movies, but we'll also talk about football because he's a big fan, and we'll talk a little about the U.S. team as well because he's an American. That will be in the business end. It's going to be a great program. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, leave a review for this Soccer OG podcast so that we can grow. And check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. There's a lot there for you to bite into. For now, let's get on with the show. Let's get it started. We have a lot to get to, and I want to save as much time as possible for our very special guest, Franklin Leonard. We also have a a big-time special guest next week, tactical manager. For those on YouTube, you may be familiar with him, uh, Filippo. And these are uh, some YouTube creators that are helping create a new fan base for the U.S. men's national team, a younger fan base that is coming in from a different angle. And not... I'm trying to bridge the gaps because I want to have a collective fan base, young, old, men, women, all together under one flag and make this sport grow. Hopefully with the U.S. qualifying and performing at the World Cup, which doesn't feel as lock stock as it did a little bit time 24 hours ago after the result in Panama. We'll get into that in stoppage time and everything that happened. We'll have a real conversation, which I try to do as much as possible. But Tactical Manager will be on the podcast next week. I'm going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be good to to uh, bridge the, the age gap, so to speak. Those kids are important, man. And I say kids with the highest praise. Those guys are, are important because they're developing that fan base. And we'll, uh, we'll have a good conversation. In the big picture of World Cup qualifying, a lot going on. It's uh, the one thing that really sticks out with what's happening. It's still too early in Africa and Asia. The nations are starting to take shape uh, as to who will be qualifying, but it's still a little too early to say in... uh, Well, let's take a look at the the Asian qualifiers because they did have games. They have some games coming up. They've all played like three games. There are two groups and Iran, South Korea... Australia, Saudi Arabia would be the teams going through. Japan and the United Arab Emirates right now would be the teams playing for that other spot. Those are the teams that you generally get through. I mean, Saudi Arabia to a lesser degree, but they've been to World Cups. Australia make every World Cup. Ever since they made the Asian Federation, they have been in there. So that move was a masterstroke for them to get out of Oceania. And Iran is a team that was in the last World Cup and almost won their group. 
So that's a big power developing young players. And obviously South Korea is the preeminent force in Asia. If those four made it, I'd be okay. I think we want Japan too. We want to get Japan in there. I mean, they made the round of 16 last time and they had Belgium on the ropes. The point I'm getting to when you have that, and then in South America, Brazil and Argentina with a game less played because remember their game was uh, postponed because of uh, a situation that is very hard to explain right now, but we got the gist of it because of players not allowed and Brazil kind of pushing back to what England was saying about their players. Anyway, they may not have to make up that game because they're firmly both in Argentina convincing in the go- in a game against Uruguay, three zip. Argentina has been fantastic. Brazil tied Colombia, but that was at their place. I think it's in Barranquilla, so that was scoreless. Colombia needs help. Brazil's in. They are. They've won nine. They're undefeated in ten games. They have twenty eight points. They're thirteen points ahead of fifth, which would be the team that would have to go to the playoffs. They're in. They probably qualify by the end of uh, November. Then the next teams in South America, Ecuador, Uruguay, would be the automatic qualifiers, then Colombia, and then there's a gap down to sixth place Paraguay. The top five teams are the best five teams in South America right now, and they would all go to the World Cup joining those Asian teams I talked about. Brazil, Argentina, Ecuador, Uruguay, Colombia. If you want, if you're in neutral, those are the five teams from South America you want qualifying. Paraguay, uh, a gritty team, but apparently not there yet. Peru, not talented enough. Chile in between generations, and then Bolivia and Venezuela just aren't up to snuff at this point. Venezuela got a nice uh, result. They beat Ecuador, so that was surprising. Let's go to Europe next. The teams that are leading their groups that would get the automatic spots. Right now, Serbia is ahead of Portugal. That's the surprise, although Portugal's got a game in hand. So I would imagine Portugal wins Group A. Spain leads Group B. Italy leads Group C. France leads Group D. You see where I'm getting at? Belgium leads Group E. Denmark leads Group F by seven points. They're in the World Cup. Netherlands lead Group G by two points over Norway. Croatia and Russia tied atop Group H. One of those two teams, Croatia obviously would be the big name because they played for a World Cup final uh, in 2018. But you can see the, the nations you expect are on their way to the World Cup. And then there are some second-place teams. Not all of them. Uh, Europe is grossly underrepresented in the World Cup, but there's only 32 teams. I think there's 14 European teams, but they are they are the gold standard right now. They had a semifinal with all European teams in the last World Cup. So you're, you're getting a World Cup, and there's a last World Cup with 32 teams. So we'll, this is a conversation that will be null and void down the road. But... You have the big names. So the event in Qatar gets even bigger. And while we love to see um, Ukraine or the Czechs or the Welsh get in there, you want the big names. And it, it, it makes much more for compelling uh, TV, really, or whatever you watch it, or stream. So Asian powerhouse is doing their part. South American powerhouse is doing their part. European powerhouses doing their part. We'll come back to Africa again. It's too early, but you would hope to see Ghana. Ghana's the one that's struggling a bit at last check. Senegal. Um, Niger- South Africa was doing okay, but you know the, the big African teams that you know can probably give a real good push. 
the, the Northern African teams, Morocco, uh, Egypt, Algeria, those, a combination of those three nations that are always so well-equipped. Algeria probably at the top of the list. They're developing incredible talent. I want Algeria in the World Cup. Did you know Algeria is the biggest nation in Africa land-wise? I didn't, I didn't know that till recently. I would have figured it was somewhere else. I thought it was Egypt or South Africa. It's Algeria. If there's anyone from Algeria listening, uh, much respect to uh, your country. I, I admire what's going on there, and I hope to visit it at some point. I, I have a long list of places I want to visit. So when I say all that, and I look at CONCACAF, my, my point is we got to get the United States in this World Cup. Right now, they would make the World Cup. They are in second place, and Mexico's in first, Panama's in third, Canada would go to the qualifiers. Canada has a lot of home games coming up, so they will be in good shape to pass Panama or the United States, so very careful. You don't want to miss this World Cup. This is the creme de la creme, or at least it's appearing that, and the U.S., obviously, if they missed the World Cup, soccer in this country would never be the same. It would be cataclysmic because of what's happening in 2026. So there you have it. Make this World Cup. Everyone else is doing their part. We'll talk about the U.S. in stoppage time. But coming up next, very special guest, Franklin Leonard. And we have a lot to talk about. Looking forward to this conversation. I think you'll really appreciate it as well. This is the Soccer OG. We're back here at the Soccer OG. Time now for the business end where I bring in a very special guest to discuss football and other things. And we will do that here as uh, this next guest, which we will talk about Sports Hollywood, but I want to say this from the jump because I followed him on Twitter. He's been an incredible follow, and because of that follow, I was alerted to Squid Game on Netflix, which I have completed <laughs> with my 12-year-old son, no less, in, in a couple weeks, Franklin Leonard of The Blacklist. Hey, great heads up. I got to say this. I, I tweeted about Squid Game after you did, and it seems like since you first did it in two weeks this this show is taken off everyone's watched it you everyone knows about it now yeah i mean you know apparently it's the number one show on netflix in 90 countries um wow. and that, ha that, has hap that has literally happened in the last three weeks and i think it happened in the first two i felt pretty early on it having watched it the first week it was out and definitely tweeted about it because i was just wildly impressed with what they were doing um but i think everybody who watched it was it's one of those things where like you tell one person, they tell one person that's enabled by social media. And when you have something good, pops off quick. <laughs> a lot of people responded to my tweet and then they got into it. And uh, and the reason I bring up that, I want to talk about what you do with Blacklist. And then we can pivot away to sports here a little bit because it's all really connected. But technically, Squid Game could be a sports show. <laughs> but it's it, it, it does function. It does, it does function in a very similar way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> high, high stakes competition like all those things that i think draws to sports are part of why squid game does work uh, we do it my so my wife's korean so uh when there's a, a korean movies and shows we're really engaged my son really gets into it because i gotta work on the cuban part of my son because he's really identifying more as korean because my wife is doing a better job at it so i put that well, on well i mean you got you, you gotta give it up to the korean culture generally i mean i feel yeah. like in terms of like global presence between k-pop and parasite and and game now and many many other sort of other things that i'm not even aware of but i know exist korean culture it really does feel like it's everywhere right now it's relatable 
And uh, as from an yeah. American, I think if you look at it, and I, I, I obviously K-pop is through the roof. The, the uh, parasite, uh, this class warfare story, which I, I think everyone could relate to, and then this morality kind of play in Squid Game. It's an easy to get immersed into. The language is obviously an issue, but I, I always kind of get right into it with the with subtitles and all with with all those three things that I've said. Not so much K-pop because I enjoy K-pop. It gets me going. But I don't know, parasite and Squid Game I'm, was I'm easy. Dancing. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I, I really think it's interesting, um, not to get too political, but like Bong Joon-ho, who made Parasite, like during during the awards campaign, someone asked him, like, you know, what do you make of the popularity of this movie outside of Korea? And he's like, look, I thought I was making a movie about Korean culture. And what I realized was, is that I wasn't making a movie about Korea, I was making a movie about capitalism, and we all live in that country. And I, and I feel like Squid Game is, is sort of overlaps in that regard. And I think that you know, what we're seeing is a combination of uh, probably a community of filmmakers and storytellers in Korea that are receiving the support that they need in order to make the kind of things that they want to make to say what they want to say about the world. And I think when, when you have a, an environment like that, it breeds a lot of talent and, and the audience benefits. You know, we get a lot of great stuff to watch. Um, and we don't have to be thinking about it in terms of sort of the, the cultural and economic conditions that allowed that to, to flower, but we just get to reap the benefits, which is really exciting as an audience member. Sure is, uh, and these the acting is fantastic, and they you, they just yeah. pull at the strings and across the board. Uh, and I should uh, preface everything by saying what you do in in Blacklist, and I was doing. You'll explain it a lot better than I do, but it's an incredible uh, project where you connect the screenwriters who may not have had the. I'll let you do it because it would do a much yeah, better. I'll just. No, no, it's all right. I'll jump in and explain it. I mean, it started as this annual survey. I used, I was a development executive at Leonardo DiCaprio's production company, which means my job was to read great, you know, try to find great scripts and then put Leo either in those movies or or have those writers write things that Leo could star in or, or produce. And so I surveyed all of my peers and said, send me a list of your favorite 10 unproduced screenplays in exchange. I'll send the combined list. And that became an early harbinger of the movies that the industry would end up supporting and, and making into great success. So five, you know, four of the last 13 best pictures, 14 of the last 28 screenwriting Oscars that were awarded were on this list before they got produced. Um, and then since then we built the website that sort of functions like a two-sided marketplace where anybody on earth who's written an English language screenplay can upload that script, get feedback on it at a minimum. And if the script is well received by the reader, we then tell everybody in Hollywood like, Yo, this is a pretty good script. Someone should do something with it. Um, and so, whereas before, you know, you needed to live in LA or live in New York, and and more importantly, know somebody in the industry to get put on. Now, instead of the focus being on like who's in your network, it was on can you go into a room by yourself and write something amazing? Because if you can do that, you should have a chance at a screenwriting career. You may not be able to knock out the other soft skills, right? Like you still got to walk into a room and pitch. You still got to take notes well. But if you can do the first part, which is writing something great, again, as an audience member, even more than somebody who works in Hollywood, I would like to see you have a chance at having a career so I can watch these amazing things that you're trying to write. That's amazing. And the most important part is the screenwriting, because I know I think, and I've had so many friends in the business, whether they're writers or actors, they have the chops. And like you said, the soft, how did you describe it? The, the soft skills? The soft skills. Yeah, soft skills. The, which the, becomes, the sort which, of stuff that, that puts you in the right rooms. Which becomes very hard skills, really, because that yeah. that can determine where you go. And obviously, if, if you're able to execute that, more power to you. But I truly believe there's that talent. And 
in writing more than anything. And sometimes being out of LA and New York, you probably get these stories that you're dying to hear. And this helps facilitate that without the pre the pressure saying, I got to move to LA and I got to pitch, pitch, pitch. I want to write. Yeah. I want to write this and, and present it because it's a great story. And more and more, we see those being executed. And it's uh, obviously uh, folks like you, Franklin, which is fantastic. Look, I, I, at the end of the day, I'm a very selfish person. I want to see good movies and television. And so, <laughs> I had to so it, the, and what I realized very early on in the industry is the best way for me to create the conditions to see a lot of good movies and TV was to make sure that like the best writers were getting supported and that writers generally were supported. And so this is my sort of weird way of putting my fingers on the scale and making sure that we all get better stuff to watch. But your point about writers in particular is a good one. I think the people you know, we get so wrapped up in a culture of celebrity around directors, I mean, around actors and increasingly around directors, and I think rightly so, but very, very few people are aware of who writes their favorite movies. Very few people sort of venerate and, and follow and celebrate the people that write their favorite movies. And I promise you, and study after study has found that they have a lot to do with the trajectory of success and failure for something. Of course. And, um, and so we, we should all be giving them more credit uh, than they've been getting historically. How many scripts do you get sent to you, say, on a weekly basis? And how many do you uh, read? <laughs> I mean, I'm still reading between, I would say, I, I would say I'm probably reading five a week on average, but not like consistently. It usually sort of comes and fits and starts. Um, it's a lot fewer than I used to read when I was a development executive. I mean, our website probably gets about 2,000 submissions a, a week at this point. Wow. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're, we're evaluating a large amount of material at scale. We have a, a fleet of readers, all of whom have at least a year of experience in the industry. So they, they know what, you know, how the industry is likely to respond to a piece of material. Um, but look, it, it's again, you know, reading a great script is like opening a good Christmas present on Christmas day, because you don't know what you're going to get, but like, and it could go bad. You could get socks. <laughs> Although the older I get socks feels like a really good gift. Um, but like, at the end of the day, what you're really excited about is like, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And you're just flipping pages to find out what happens next. It's one of the, one of the better feelings I've found in my professional life. Uh, beautiful stuff. Uh, I welcome anyone who wants to buy Christmas gifts. I will take socks. Nothing like a nice, warm <laughs> I mean, cotton on your feet. Max, I think we're at a certain age where that, that is definitely <laughs> true. I know that wasn't true all of my life, but now I'm like, yeah, socks, practical, comfortable, I, the I, best. I will spend most of my most of my day in them. That's a win. I go to the sauna at my gym, or I used to, uh, with socks on sometimes because I get that feel. I know that sounds odd, and frankly, I see you rolling your eyes. But I, that's my connection I, I, to socks. I, I'm not sure it's like rolling my eyes as much as it is. Huh? Never tried that. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> might be something that I might have to explore at some point in the future. Though I don't know about socks in like a public gym. If I ever find myself in a private sauna, that might yes, be that yes. Uh, I'm going to pivot to to football, soccer. I'm going to use yeah. Ted Lasso so we could do it kind of a very Wait, okay. More... Can we just say are we using are we using football or are we using soccer? Let's just sort of put it put it on the table now. Oh man, I'm in a world where I have to use I use both a lot. And working at LAFC with Bob Bradley's coaching calls it football. And whenever the more you hear it, you're like, man. It's football. I, I use football and I, I don't know why. I think it's, it's, look, I started playing, my dad was in the army and I lived in Germany and that's when I started playing as a child. But, and then I spent most of the last year in London. So I've just defaulted to football. I just feel like we just need to choose terms because otherwise we're going to be high, we're going to be like football, soccer. The it's a big conversation. This is a big decision right here. I think it's football. 
I think, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, I'm leading with, with I mean, we just got to do a, a collective front and they push it in there. I mean, soccer is based is an English term. I've done the homework and it's yeah. it was created by the English and it right. just doesn't it has a weird ring to it. And it doesn't mean anything. And the I American mean, look, everybody football knows everybody knows what you mean when you say soccer. So it's not but it's just for whatever reason I've defaulted to football. It is the international term. It is the term most common around the world. So I'm going with that as an ease of communication. Even the Spanish speaking uh, community calls it football. They spell it differently, yeah. but <laughs> I think there's something to be said about yeah, that. Yeah. So football it is. Football it is. Football it is. So uh, I, we'll talk about you and you. You're, you're, you played your your brother Marshall. I used to call his games when he was at the was yeah. he the re, the Revolution. Did he play for he other the clubs revolution. there? No, he was he was a left back for the Revolution his entire career in the MLS, and then you know popped his Achilles. Tried to come back, didn't work out, and went to med school. So he's a doctor now. Wow, you you Leonard's are a pretty impressive. It's we're a pretty good group. I mean, my parents did an exceptional job. Shout out, to, <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to my shout out to my mom in particular, who was the one like ferrying us around to soccer practices and making sure we got our homework done. It's hard work parenting. Good parenting is hard, but when it's done well, you can see you reap the benefits. And I mean, my parents crushed it. <laughs> you you don't even have to yeah, say yeah. that. I'm just seeing it from afar to see how. Marshall pivots to to medical school and you're doing an incredible work here uh making Hollywood a better place because I know it's very it, it's tough for a lot of people and when I when I was reading about what you did it warmed my heart because you're giving an an an, an option a possibility a throwing a rope out for someone who may not have had it so hats off to the the Leonard family I'll, I'll, well, I'll say two things about that. One, and you don't even know about my little sister who does work with queer youth and uh, like black and brown women's like uh, maternal mortality. So she's arguably a better person than my brother and sister and I and brother, brother combined. Um, and then separate from that, I mean, on one hand, yes, it's about like throwing a rope out to people who may not have access to the system. But I really do think of it more as being a benefit to the industry. Like yes. The industry as a whole is failing if we aren't capturing the talent that's out there. Like imagine a world and we can pivot it back to, to football. Imagine a world where like Barcelona wasn't like looking out into the world for the next Messi, right? Where where like, you know, you don't find someone like N'Golo Kante because you're just not looking and we're only like, you know, signing people in the transfer window that are personally known to the owners of the teams. The game would be garbage. We wouldn't, you know, the, the, each individual team would be terrible and the audience would, would, wouldn't be as interested in the game. Like part of what I, the work that I'm doing is about like recruiting the best people who have the, the most talent into a system so that we can all benefit. And there it is. I mean, I'll, I'll do a Leonard pick uh, uh, rankings of the siblings. So what your sister was number one. Yeah. Marshall's and you'll be through. I'm number three. It, it is what it is. <laughs> We'll see if we can get you up the. We'll see if we can get you up the power rankings by the end of this. I'm, wor I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> let's let's talk about Ted Lasso. Then we'll we'll talk about football because yeah. I know I was talking before we 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 got on here and how surprising it was because when I heard they were doing a show of Ted Lasso, I rolled my eyes and go, "You got to be kidding me! Same, this is gonna same. this is gonna be garbage." It's like, and then you see it, and actually a friend of mine, actually Hercules Gomez, I did a pod, he goes, man, you got to watch this, it's a bit surprising, I go, alright, alright, because I wasn't, and then you got into it, and it's, uh, I think with with all of us that love this sport, you're looking for things that are authentic, that uh, have a backbone that football fans can appreciate and acknowledge, because once, it, once you get away from that, you lose interest, so anything that's done on the sport has to have those 
those features. And this certainly does. And from an American perspective, and I think this will always do better in America than even England, uh, an American perspective on how they absorb it, all those, all the jokes and the, the double entendres and all the things that are in there are, uh, uh, are all to see. And it, it, it kind of breaks down the walls a bit, having this coach experiencing British culture and British football in this unique way. And I hope we get to see more of it. I hope this is a, a launching pad for stories within the sport that can be said, whether it's it's, it's English, or whether it's in Brazil, whether all it is where we can all kind of get in there and go, we're into this because we love the sport and we understand what's being said here. We understand uh, why that's funny or why that's clever across the board. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny. I was super skeptical of Ted Lasso when it came out. I mean, look, I've been in my career, I've been in Hollywood for about 18 years and I've sort of set as a personal goal to make a sort of great soccer movie or now a soccer movie or TV show. And I, I can say straight out, if, if, if they had come to me and said, hey, we're turning Ted Lasso into a television show, do you want to be involved? I would, I would probably would have said no. <laughs> um, maybe if they had pitched me sort of what they were trying to do with it, or I met Brendan Hunt, I might have been convinced, but definitely on its face, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We finally get around to making a, a football TV show, and it's, it's based on a, a brand marketing character that they came up with to sell. I think it was NBC's Premier League yeah. coverage at the time. Like, come on. Um, but I think what they did is really remarkable. You know, you've got, there's clearly, and I think Brendan is probably the, the, the center of this, like a deep well of knowledge about the sport. And I think sort of using him as an American who loves and knows the game as a way to draw in Ted into this universe and sort of be, you know, for a lot of people who may not be football fans, the person who explains the culture, um, you know, and they signal this in a lot of subtle ways. Like if you look at the books that Brendan's reading, that Beard is reading throughout the first two seasons, you know, he, he's, he's, he's inverting the pyramid. It's soccer. I think it's football right. against the enemy, right? Like, it's like, this is a guy who weirdly like me, who like anytime there's a new book, a great book about football, that's, that's, you know, you're going to dive in. So, and then more be beyond that, like fundamentally, it's a show about people trying to figure out their lives. And I think at a time like this, um, the story of people trying to connect with each other and heal their wounds is universal. And it just happens to use this, this very specific uh, sort of, you know, crucible to explore those very human ideas. Yeah, it's... Uh, I it's, it's such a big responsibility when you have a project like this because the football community, the soccer community, the we we all have our guard up and go, this has got to hit because we want to earn new fans. And that's not the right word. We want we want more fans to make this bigger for everyone. So it's a it's a phenomenon that Americans it's part of their life, and we know we're getting there. The younger generations doing it. These things do help. These things do help Absolutely. get drawing new fans. There's no doubt about it, and. It, it has to be the right sensibility and you and to have Brandon, who's an LAFC season ticket holder. We see him. He's there all the time. You can tell him he's consumed with the sport. I follow him on social media. He has great posts that are smart and it helps break. It was such a clever way to break down the, the American fan, which is generally ridiculed in this sport. I, I see it. That's, you know, that's fine. We've got to kind of break down the walls a little bit, but to have this, to have this, this coach, Ted Lasso kind of approach this, and this ridiculous idea that he could coach in England and all of a sudden make it not sound so ridiculous because yeah. of the way he looks at it and immerses these American ideas from you know, John Wooden and all this that makes sense in some way where it, you could almost pull it off in real well, life. I, what, 
but the reason I think it works is I don't know that the, the ideas that they're sort of talking about, like, I think that they're, Americans are sort of most associated with a lot of these ideas, right? This sort of like optimism, this, this can-do spirit. But I think that the, those are fundamentally like distilled version of human ideals, right? And I think that what the show has done a really good job is, is saying, yes, these are things that you could easily caricaturize as American or somehow distinct from any global environment, but these fundamental ideas of like doing right by people, being a good person, like having empathy and caring about what the person on your team and your family is doing, that's universal, right? Yeah. And I think that the idea of like showing sort of the dopey Americans sort of coming in and being like optimism, believe, et cetera, ends up striking a chord whether we realize it or not. And I think by not um, by by sort of challenging Ted and sort of looking at Ted as like a, a um, initially at least as like someone to ridicule and then having him win win over time and time again despite that uh, I think is really effective like the dynamic between Ted and, and Trent Krim of the Independent uh, it works because you're like yeah Trent's got the right point of view on this which is like deep deep skepticism. And Ted's behavior is going to have to win all of us over, just like it wins over Trent and the rest of the team. Have you seen uh, in your time with the, the Blacklist, have you seen any soccer scripts come by or football scripts? I'm going to keep going back and forth, yeah. Frank. I'm going to drive you crazy. Yeah, this. No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. I think look, in, in practice, I do too, even if I want to commit to the to football. Um, <laughs> no, we, def we definitely have seen some. I haven't seen anything that makes me like light my hair on fire and really try to get it made. But believe me, uh, and I'll just put this on record because I have on Twitter. If you submit a script about soccer football to the Blacklist website and it scores well, a very good chance I'm going to pay special attention just out of my own personal interest. There you go, folks. So if you're, if you're listening, go to the Franklin Leonard on, on Twitter handle or the Black. Where do they send it? Uh, the Blacklist website is blcklst.com. It's Blacklist with no vowels. And Black if you have questions about the website, you can always hit me up on Twitter. It's just Blacklist, Blacklist with no vowels. So B-L-C-K-L-S-T, which is very cool. That's the one. Yep. So, so hey, if you're listening and you got something, there you go. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we can make you a, a big-time Hollywood screenwriter. Let's, let's now talk football. Obviously, the U.S. men's national team is, is really bearing down everyone. I'm going to talk about it yeah. a little bit later as well. It's a real bummer. Of a, I don't know what to make of this. It's 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 going to be it's a legit roller coaster ride. It is. And it was weird because I was so disappointed after this game. I'm watching. I go, the, the, the sky is falling. And then they flash the standings. I go, oh, we're going to the World Cup still. <laughs> but not comfortably. Well, we, we are for now, but not comfortably. <laughs> no. I mean, look, I, I, I think there's a few. I think there's a few realities here. One is um, like things to be excited about. I actually think that this team, this sort of player pool is very exciting. This generation of young footballers, I'm really excited about what they are capable of. And I think that um, I'm optimistic about their future, right? 2022, 2026, and as far as 2030. I think what's also very exciting is that there's a lot of parity in CONCACAF right now, right? Like Costa Rica, Canada, Panama, and Mexico and the US. There are five teams that are legitimately strong. And on their day, El Salvador and Honduras are competitive, as is Jamaica, by the way. They're bottom of the table right now. But, like, that's not a pushover game for anybody in the conference. So that's exciting, right? Like, all these games are going to be CONCACAF games, and so we know what that means. But on top of it, I think that there is a, there's less of a gap between the top tier uh, in the region and everybody else. But that's dangerous for us. I mean, like, look, next game's Costa Rica. 
if we don't get points out of that, I mean, frankly, if we don't win that game, we're going to be in fourth, maybe fifth. We're going to be in trouble. I mean, look, if we lose Costa Rica and, and Canada and Panama t- draw, we're in fifth, right? We're out of the Conso game. So I, I think that there's definitely cause for concern because I think we have Mexico right after that. So, you know, you got to, you, you should be getting, you should be getting four points out of Panama and Costa Rica minimum, right? Because especially with Mexico coming behind that, not great. And I, and I, I got to be honest, and this is sort of my final conclusion about, about the situation. We have the player pool that we have. There's not a ton of depth at the highest level. There isn't. And that's, that's, and that's fine because the highest level, I would argue, is higher than it's been in a very long time, right? Like the, our best players are very exciting. And I think the players that are coming behind them are also very exciting. But we have what we have. Coaching, we can do better. Um, frankly, and I, coaching is, I think, where the U.S. can really have a delta to make us competitive at the highest level, given the players that we have. And I have, I have serious doubts about what plan there is in place to get the best out of this group of, of young men um, and to build the pipeline that will deliver 2026 and 2030 uh, team-wise. I'm worried. It's, well, I, went, I was on Twitter this morning, and the number one trending topic was Burhalter, which, which is probably, if you click on it, it's not going to be folks saying, hey, praise. give him another chance. It's not praise. It's not praise. And I like, I look, I was, he wasn't my choice, but I support him. I think he's done a lot of good things with the dual nationals. I think he's done a, he's a straight shooter with the players, and I think they respond to him. But this is a sport where you have a, uh, a glut of options. You have an embarrassment of riches if you want coaching or special, uh, special coaches within that system that can help with analytics or what have you. And I don't know if, if we're doing enough of that because you do have, as you said, I think that's a great point. And I haven't really heard that, Franklin. It's you have these great players, but how do you get the most out of them? in the big picture you go for you know the yes you want an american sensibility with these players because they are american but you want to really care yeah here's here's my question like what is an american sensibility when it comes to football i don't i would argue that other than a sort of can-do spirit and 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 a high work rate I don't think we have an American footballing identity, right? Mm. It's not like we're the, it's not like we're the Dutch. It's not like we're the Brazilians or the Spanish or even the French or the, like, I mean, England at least has route one football, right? At the end of the day, like if that's their identity, that's their identity. I couldn't tell you what the American footballing identity is yet. So I don't know what the American system is. And I am perfectly happy for us to spend whatever we need to, to put together a team to say, okay, these are the pieces that I have on the board. This is the identity that best suits them. And I'm going to build around that. I don't really see that happening. And again, we can't buy elite players, but we damn sure can buy an elite coaching staff. And that's <laughs> going to be right. Like that, that option is available to us. We can't bring in new players into the player pool. We can try to get dual nationals to commit. And I think that Berhalter has done a great job with that. Super excited about Pepe, for example, but there's more that can be done on the sort of support side. Um, and I think that that's where we need to be. That's really where we need to be focused on stepping up. As a, I, as, a, as a sort of country footballing culture. Yeah, U.S. soccer is pretty narrow-minded with that, I think, with, and they've got to expand it. And I think there's coaches out there that are licking their chops to potentially coach this team if it does go that direction because it's an exciting team. I always said fully loaded when you have Pulisic and Reina and McKenney and Aronson. It's, this is a team that playing well is going to get fans worldwide because 
they have that potential to be really exciting. And now they're playing in Europe, which is, you know, the gradual next step where you get better there. These players can expand and get the best coaching. Uh, yeah. Maybe they should do that here with the U.S. as well, where you get someone, a big name. It's got to be the right one. You don't just go, hey, let's bring in uh, no, you're not bringing Frank Reichardt. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. You've got to have someone. It's got to make sense. I would love to have some ties that bind to America. That's why Jurgen Klinsmann was, uh, you know, yeah a slam dunk in many ways because he lived here and those kind of things. So a coach doesn't have to live here, but uh, have, you know, have a, a respect and a, an admiration for what what's going on here. But I think that's easy because these players make it and it's a real, it's a dilemma. I hope Greg Berhalter gets this thing right and does it, but I've seen this Panama game just was the punch in the stomach where I said, no, we still have a, a lot of ground ground to gain, but we, we should spare no expense because it's, it's too important now for this world cup. And then in 2026 where we host it, which yeah. to me is the, the pivot point for this sport becoming major permanently in this country. We yeah. can't screw that up. Well, and I also think that we have a very special generation coming through that should be peaking at exactly that time. Yes. Right. So this like, is a gift. About, this generation's a gift. <laughs> five years out, you think about where Pelissa is going to be, where Rain is going to be, where Peppy's going to be, where Aronson's going to be. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg because there's more kids coming behind them. Codrad de, uh, de la Fuente, right? Like, there's a lot of talent coming up that that should be in their prime during 2026 World Cup at home. Look, Berhalter in his comments after the game was like, "Look, you know, we have three matches in a very tight turnaround." I made some choices about resting some players out of necessity and, you know, maybe I got it wrong, but that puts a lot of pressure on this Costa Rica match, especially with Mexico coming behind it. Cause I think that, look, if he doesn't come out of that with four points minimum and ideally six, the U S is going to be in trouble. Um, and all of those sort of uh, return fixtures throughout the rest of the, you know, the conference, they're going to be tough. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with, again, competitive Panama and Costa Rican teams, Canada, that is looking a real threat to be in the World Cup, which, frankly, I'm really excited about. I think they have a lot of really exciting players, too. Like, I would not be mad at all to see Canada playing in the World Cup in 2022. Um, it's not a foregone conclusion. And I think it's going to be a dogfight the rest of the uh, of qualifying. You know what Canada has that the U.S. desperately needs? They have to have that mean streak. No one likes the Canadian team. Their coach has got an attitude. Their players push around. And I go, that's great. That's what we need. Yeah. And, and, you know, we always think of Canadians as the nicest people on earth. It's not reflected on their national team. And that's the best thing that I could say about them. They're not likable. They'll push you back. They will, I mean, we've seen them. They had that shoving match with Mexico in the Gold Cup. They kind of did it again with the U.S. And they, they don't budge. I'm like, man, they, uh, they're, I'm pretty sure they're going to the World Cup. They've done enough. But it's that attitude that I, I, I didn't see with the U.S., certainly in Panama. They got pushed. and They're like, okay, how much yeah, time, man, ref? <laughs> Canada, Canada is ready for a moment. on. I think as a team and as individuals on that team, they're ready for a moment on the world stage. They, they have the talent, right? Like Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, right? Like all of a sudden they have a bunch of dudes playing at a very high level in Europe um, and they want the next step. And they know the next step is, I mean, if they can get Canada to the World Cup, they will return as conquering heroes regardless of the result. Um, but I think these guys, these guys can play and they're looking for, they're, they're looking to elevate, you know, they sure can. And, uh, I think with the U S you're going to see more and more kids in Canada want to play this sport. It's, 
it's it's an exciting time for that because you know you think hockey hockey but now they're, they're developing great basketball players this is small it's a big country land wise but population wise no and now soccer is taking off which uh, we had i had my uh, adnan verk here a couple of weeks we talked about that and it was also about the the international makeup of canada and how there's people from all over and the immigration policies in canada That's where right. now they reap the benefit because these these families from all over the world come here and they play the sport there and it's since you know since that has really happened you can see it and the best yeah, part about these say, kids is they're proud to be canadian i was gonna say what is what we need a, a more liberal uh, refugee immigration policy in there the we world? go <laughs> I mean, but look, if you look at that team, it's it's real, right? They, they got they got players coming out of, of, of Turkish, nation, Turkish nationality. I mean, Alfonso Davies, I believe, was born in a refugee camp. Um, you know, um, Jonathan Portuguese Davis, players, a lot. Of, yeah. yeah, Portuguese players. Uh, Jonathan David was an immigrant from uh, Haiti. Right. Right. Like they, they, there's a reason they're doing well. And it has a lot to do with the diversity of their population and where those folks are coming from. They're all coming from nations that have footballing cultures and they're having it synthesized, you know, what is it like 90% of the population is less than a hundred miles from the U S border. Yep. They're, they're doing something. And look, like Jonathan David, I was, <laughs> and I, I, I think someone said his name, Jonathan David. I go, well, whoever he says he wants his name, I, mean, I know. Yeah, he's, exactly. Yeah, we'll, 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 it, we'll call him what he wants, but we're in Real Madrid. We're kicking the tires on. I was like, wow. So uh, big happenings and there. And there are more coming behind those guys too, which is the, the really exciting part. Yes. Yes. So be patient. It's going to get better. It, or it, it so would appear. Do you have a, a root, rooting interest with clubs? Who are your teams? I mean, LAST is my team, uh, as far as I'm concerned. It's funny, I didn't embrace uh, a team growing up for, for some reason. So, and honestly, like, as an adult, choosing one just feels like being an interloper, right? Like I'm just like, bandwagoning some team unless I just like, choose the worst <laughs> team possible. Um, but honestly, no, a friend of mine described me as just like a petty bitch who loves drama. And I think when it comes to football, I pretty much covers it. Like give me a high drama game. I'm, I tend to root for underdogs. Um, and then there are certain players who I am a big fan of, right? So Ingolo Conte can do no wrong in my mind. Um, I've always been a big Paul Pogba fan, which, you know, may be a little bit disparate, but I think is still consistent with my like worldview. But no, I tend to be drawn more by players uh, than I do by teams. And, and that saves me from having like a, the sort of painful rooting interest that, that never gets uh, realized. So liberating. I've got too many, I've got too many Arsenal, like, fans who are Arsenal fans to ever embrace like being a full fan of any team. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would be I would be that person that would cry myself to sleep if my team's lost. And in the last few years, I've kind of severed that a little bit, with the exception of the U.S. national team. And now working for LAFC, those are the ones that would bother me. But yeah. everything else, I've kind of softened it and life's gotten a lot better. And I enjoy sports <laughs> watching it. I go, oh, I could watch this. I don't I, my heart's not I, involved. I'm yeah, going to be good. Uh, I think it's look, I think if you're able to enjoy a, a, a any, any sport in the same way that I, that you enjoy a movie, right? Where like, if the, if the drama's good, it was two hours well spent. That's the best position to be in because sports, you know, in the same way that I think the best movies do delivers human drama in a way that almost nothing else can. It, it's, I think it's why I love movies and why I love sports. It's a, it's interesting what's happening with, uh, with the, you know, we had this super league conversation and then now the premier league, the big news, from last week is these this is a Saudi takeover of Newcastle. And I was watching this celebration and I was like, wait a minute, but it's the premier league, which I've been watching for 25 years. And I've always enjoyed it because of uh, the rivalries, the fans, the support culture, all of that. 
which I'm, you know, we talk about Ted Lasso was probably the hook for guys like Brandon. And you see, this is incredible and it's changed. Uh, I like, I like the super teams. I enjoy watching a Chelsea that has all these players and Manchester United's building at Manchester city. And, but it's, uh, it's kind of hard to keep pace with it all. And yeah. you think about Newcastle, what they're going to look like. People were having jokes. There was like a, a video where they superimposed Ronaldo and Messi on Newcastle jerseys and Paul Pogba, yeah. like this super team, because it's crazy money. And I'm curious and excited to see what that is going to look like. But it's, uh, you know, we saw when the Super League happened, how the pushback to something like that and the English fans are like, no, that will not happen. And, yeah. and the, the idea of se sending Premier League games overseas, which I, I think is a terrible idea because I think that's a, a disrespectful to the fans. But when I see this money coming in, I, I, I try to cushion the blow for everyone saying, I got some bad news. It, the way it's going, it's it's going to be this, the Super League's going to come up again and they're going to ship out games. And I feel bad for the supporters there because they have built this, which has made it so compelling and, and other leagues too. But it's really come to England where all the top clubs are owned by foreign interests and crazy money so uh, it's I, I i hang on to those games but when i when i'd watch norwich play chelsea and it would be comp competitive those games you know that they're not anymore and i i wonder if some people check out a little bit because maybe gaps develop but maybe not maybe you know the supporters have come up in a big way and, and pushed back against it and i we saw that with with the glazers and it's it's just a it's a moment in time where I'm, I, I wonder if it's going to look a lot different and it becomes more of a global league, which it's going to, it's going to take away a lot because you, you're lured in because of the charm and everything about the premier league, but now the money and making it global with coaches and players, et cetera, it's going to really push and pull uh, the dynamic of that league. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that you, I don't think that the league ultimately loses fans. I think at the end of the day, as long as the and I, look, I'd, I'd actually be curious to look at the numbers, whether the, the league has gotten less competitive over time. Um, and I would bet that, you know, going back decades, you know, some teams ended up being the best and some teams ended up not being the best. I think that a lot of this money allows you to preserve staying in that top tier, right? Like you don't have two off years and all of a sudden you're getting relegated, like city's not getting relegated anytime soon or maybe ever. Um, and so I think that that is probably a problem. You don't see that sort of move up and down the table, but I don't know that we've actually seen that historically. I think the, the bigger question is, um, you know, look, who are the owners of the teams? Can we consign to allying ourselves with organizations that we may have like strong moral questions about? Um, but again, I think that we were already dealing with owners of some teams that you may have had those real questions about, right? And I think that if you look sort of globally, a lot of the teams are owned by the equivalent of oligarchs in their own communities, right? Like MLS teams aren't owned by the fans. Um, you know, teams in China aren't owned by the fans. Teams in, you know, I, and I think that that's, that's just a natural phenomenon of sort of global capitalism, right? I mean, and I actually have no problem with the Premier League shipping out games. I totally understand why, you know, as a fan of Norwich, you're like, wait a minute, I paid for 19 matches and now I get 18. But I also think that, like, if Norwich is able to sort of develop an international fan community that ends up kicking money back to them, it's going to enable a team like Norwich to then maybe put more money in the coffers and, and be more competitive. I don't know the answer to that. My bigger concern is, is like, can we preserve the game? At, at, you know, once people cross the lines and walk onto the pitch, right? That's the most important part. And I also think that 
you know, you look at the number of teams in, in the Premier League that are owned by significant financial interests, right? At least one or two of those teams is not going to make the Champions League. And so, you know, maybe you have a mini league of 10 teams at the top, right? But like, you know, now that Newcastle presumably is going to be competitive for Champions League spots when they have all this money behind them, not everybody's making the Champions League that is owned by multi-billionaires. And there's something intriguing about that, right? Every weekend, there's going to be at least two or three matches that feature two of these, you know, so-called super teams. Um, and look, and then lastly, Leicester won the league within the decade. And I think as long as that's possible, and I don't know that there have been material changes that would prevent that Leicester team from succeeding over the last decade, then I think we still have the opportunity for romance. I, I think, honestly, if, if it weren't for that Leicester team, I'd feel very differently. But the fact of the matter is they came in with a, I think their total team value at the start of that season was like 32 mil, right? Like they had N'Golo Conte, who they picked up for 400,000, Vardy, Mares, Wes Morgan, Christian Fuchs. That team won the league. So it's possible. It is. I would like to think it could happen again. I don't. I don't think we'll we'll see that, which will make that championship even more special. I think those. I think Spurs finished second. It was just a weird year. It was like teams I just, were just saying before that. Before that season, if I had said, "Yeah, a non-top six team is going to win the league," you would have. Like, of course, none of us would have believed it. I think there were twelve thousand to one like dogs to win the league that year, and you know. We can oh, Ranieri. I look for Watford to succeed this year with, with the Ranieri hiring. He's so great. I love him. It was, I'm a we, huge we, fan I was at ESPN and we kept bringing up, there were 12,001 as if someone actually bet on that. And we're, we're looking for I, this one guy who said, Lester's going to win the premiership. No, go, He's not out there. That's no, no, apparently I, apparently there was a guy who put like, who every year would put a hundred bucks on Lester when they were. Uh, oh, wow. Um, but the kicker is, I think he cashed out his bet right after boxing day. Because I think he was like, uh, this is our, like, the run is... Yeah, you can't blame him. Yeah, oh, I mean, <laughs> and I think he probably cashed in pretty well, too. I believe I, I believe I read a story about someone who did that. Unbelievable. That's incredible. It's, uh, the romance is so huge, especially that league. It got the hook in me, and I was, uh, I, I, I love to see how it was. But I, I do see this interesting point in time now where the Premier League clubs have on the European level have the power with Real Madrid and Barcelona having to deal with their issues. And it's going to take yeah. Real Madrid a year or so it's going to take Barcelona a little bit longer, a lot longer. And Juventus too. Juventus kind of, these are the big clubs that you tune into the champions league. But now I, you know, these English teams have stayed solvent afloat and the money that comes in for that league obviously helps them do that, that they could uh, really, you know, seize the day here, seize a, um, take take use of the space on the on the bigger stage because all these clubs are on are on pretty good ground but that's you know that's obviously a different conversation but the premier league is i don't i don't think you're wrong i mean look it is not unreasonable to assume that all four english teams that qualify for the champions league like they should be making the quarterfinals every year right like they should be um, but I, look, we still have teams like Bayern. We still have teams like PSG as competitive, right? Like there's no reason why the final couldn't be Bayern PSG this year. Um, and there's no reason to think that there couldn't be one other team that sneaks into a semi and you only end up with one uh, English team in the semis. You know, 
looking at you, Sheriff uh, Tiraspol, um, who are doing like insane what things <laughs> uh, in the group stage. Um, that's pretty unseen. That's pretty unheard of I, just because of this, this victory over Real Madrid. I mean, they are, they've won two games already. They could, they win another game. They're going to go to the, the round I, of 16. I, Exactly. I mean, look, so again, I think that there, you know, is, is there, is there, is there going to be a team like Sheriff that goes all the way? Probably not. But I, I do think that I, I, der I derive enough joy from those matches, right? Like the big group stage upsets um, that clearly mean so much to the players on the pitch. You know, as long as the games are competitive and played at a high level, I, I'm not worried about footballing culture dissolving as long as we can preserve each individual national footballing culture um and then you know preserve the the fairness of the game once people cross onto the pitch it's a big job for sheriff because they could blow out this super league conversation say they make a quarterfinal and again this is a huge leap yeah. but if they do because two years ago in the champions league all the 16 teams that made the knockouts were english french german spanish italian and last yeah. year they were 15 of 16 i think with one portuguese club in there but right. no or two years ago, it had Ajax was like that one team yeah, that made the run, which was so yeah. refreshing. If Sheriff's a different animal if they would be able to do that. I, it seems impossible, but not so much anymore after these games. So these are the things that can kind of break down the walls of the direction that this sport is going to. Because I, like you said, I know you like the underdog. I love the underdog and those kind of developments um, give us, we'll, we'll push back the idea of these things like the Super League and give the Champions League the, you know, that energy that it needs to prove that we're, these teams aren't showing up just to, to participate. They're here to potentially, you know, turn this tournament upside down. And I hope, I really hope, I, I mean, I should get my FC Sheriff jersey. I really hope they're able to accomplish that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there, I, I think that every year, every year there are teams that surprise us and that's part of why we do it right like at the end of the day if you watch you know march madness and college basketball like it, it, the final four is usually populated by the same teams over and over yep. and over again but there are always cinderella runs and maybe that you know maybe they don't win the national championship right like valparaiso has never won an ncaa national championship in basketball but we all still remember the game right and they know what you know why I, I mentioned valpo so you know whether it's like you know leipzig or atalanta or or Ajax when they made that run. I think that's what we we tune in for. And I think that, you know, teams are going to poke their way into that tier. And then hopefully with good management on the sort of financial and sort of uh, coaching side, maybe begin to coalesce, you know, becoming one of those teams that's competitive on a year to year basis. Um, and that's, look, that's, that's what I'm in for. And, and, and I've yet to have a year where there isn't some compelling rooting interest in that direction. It's funny about the Champions League, uh, the, uh, the NCAA tournament comparison, because those those upsets are the ones we remember. Like you said, Valparaiso. That's the best, that's the best part, man. We'll, yeah. we'll never forget Maryland, Baltimore County, a university I didn't even know existed. And now they, they were a 16 season one. You're like, oh, UMBC. Yeah, I know them. You'll never forget it. Shout even out, though it was one win. The, shout out to the Harvard women's basketball team. That's right. For six, 16 seed to win. I remember I was actually an undergrad at the time. Uh, and I remember every like there was just like and this is before like social media and, and really even cell phones and texting and you could literally just hear people like get to a television this shit is going down um, so yeah it was good that's your that's your school too I mean you yeah. got a rep. <laughs>
It's a, it's a rare it's a rare sporting victory that we have. So whenever whenever there's an opportunity to name check it, I definitely will. Oh, that, I, would, I would run with that one. I would run with that, that one. That Harvard so. women's team was very, very special, especially, again, as a, as a person who roots for underdogs. Like, you got it. You got to go with it. If there's an underdog, I'm in. I, you got me. I don't care where the school's at. You've got my attention and my support. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you this with the – I want to ask you about that, the PSG situation. You asked them as a possible – team to make it and the dynamic of this super team that they're developing and how it's not really working at on all cylinders and i don't know if it will and we always have these conversations can these three guys play together now killing mbappe you know there's these these quotes that he was kind of going at he i think i don't know what he called neymar it was like it was a tramp he called him a tramp i go what's the translation for that he didn't call him a tramp yeah but I it was like there's got to be a more subtle French uh, context to that term. <laughs> you are a tramp. I, I maybe scamp is what he meant. Scamp. Maybe it was just a, a phonetic issue. Um, <laughs> look, you have a team. It is a, a true super team. You have three players on that team, all of whom who want goals, who see themselves as being the focal point for any offensive system. And I think rightfully so. You know, Messi, Neymar, I mean, you know, there were rumors that the reason why Neymar left Barcelona to go to PSG was because he wanted to be the star and Messi was always going to be the star at Barcelona. So then he goes to PSG and, you know, guess who arrives shortly thereafter? Meanwhile, Mbappe becomes coming out of the World Cup um, and the Euros the, the two years prior, like the most exciting young player in the world, right? That is a job for Pochettino to manage those three personalities, those three levels of expectation. And I don't know that anybody could do it because the fact of the matter is I don't think that there's any, any scenario where you can satisfy those three people in the context of one football team. I just don't know how it's done. Um, it's a, is, it's like, a tough job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think the reality is they have a year. They're going to have all of these tools at their disposal for one year, guaranteed. And the question is, is can you get them all firing on all cylinders? Can you get them working together for one historic run? And if you can, there's no reason to believe that you can't deliver a PSG's first championship. If you can't, it will be more than likely spectacular in its devolution. And that, you know, I don't know, it's not good for the team, but it's great content. Oh. Um, and so I think we're, we're going to get a great football story regardless. Um, it is either going to be the, the, the trials and tribulations of this super team with three sort of very outsized personalities and how they manage to, to win football's greatest club prize, or it is going to be that time that three of the best football, or play, football players on earth were on the same team and it went spectacularly well. <laughs> like they're going to like, like the story here could be that they go out in the round of 16 to share it. And that story, <laughs> way to bring it all together, Franklin. Excellent. I mean, that, but that, that story, that, by the way, that's a movie, especially given like the reality of the sheriff team and sort of like who finances it and how that team came together. Right. So like, I, I think football will continue to offer great stories for the audience to participate in both the footballing aspect and the personality aspect. And I think PSG is teed up to be exactly that. You really brought it all together. So if you have the FC Sheriff script working on it, keep going and then send it to Franklin at Blacklist and it'll all be complete. But it's it's a very compelling story. I watch it. Everything's under the microscope. Mauricio Pochettino substitutes Messi and it, that's the story, the arguments, the transfer rumors. Wow. I mean, it's uh, it seems like such an ordeal, but somehow they I wouldn't rule. I wouldn't put it against them that they might be able to do it at the end. So. 
I'm on, yeah. I'm on board for, for the sheriff story and I'm on board for the PSG story. Uh, same, by the way. Look, I, I just look, I just love the game. I'm one of those people that can watch a League Two match on a Saturday afternoon and be perfectly content and watch, you know, PSG City uh, the next day and be well, probably Tuesday or Wednesday and be perfectly happy. Just give me, give me high drama, give me exceptional football, and uh, you know, show me the fans and how much it matters to them. I'm good to go. Franklin, thank you so much for joining me here in the business end. This is a great conversation. We covered a lot of ground and. I'd love to have a football conversation with you anytime. Uh, back at you. Uh, Franklin Leonard here, the business end. We'll be back. Quick little wrap up on the uh, stoppage time as we'll discuss the U.S. men's national team. This is the Soccer OG. Time now for stoppage time. It's going to be a little abbreviated, as I always go along with the guests. I hope you enjoy that. Franklin uh, Leonard is a really remarkable dude, and uh, it's good to have a guy like that who is embedded with Hollywood and who is a huge soccer fan. We're a big community, so we got to embrace everyone because we have folks everywhere. So really quickly, with stoppage time, want to discuss uh, the U.S. men's national team. I, I discuss it further right now on my YouTube page, Max Bretos, the soccer OG. By the way, the YouTube is going tremendously. The numbers are really pumping up. We are looking to do the same here on the podcast, and we'll get there. So if I encourage you to listen to both, but there's more detail in the U.S. men's national team effort in Panama on that platform. So uh, I will do some more broad strokes here with regards to what happened. It was, to me, I've watched... I think every U.S. men's national team in the last 20 years or so, I have called many of them, uh, and there has been good ones, there have been indifferent ones, there have been bad ones. I think there's been bad ones. I think of when we got smoked by the Czech Republic in the 2006 World Cup. There's been those that we happened in the 1998 World Cup. And uh, there was always, uh, you know, there was in the 98 World Cup, we saw a team that was uh, not engaged. It was a real mess. Uh, this is a different situation, but the game that I saw was, you know, we, we bring up Kuva. And Kuva wasn't, it was a terrible performance against a very poor team. But that was the uh, the final piece of a horrible campaign for the United States, which left them out of the World Cup in shocking manner. But this game felt worse than Kuva. There was, it was just no engagement, no and intensity, no anger, no commitment. They just kind of took it, took their took their hiding. They were never going to we we they were never going to be in this game. We we got that feeling about twenty minutes in. I thought the lineup, which shocked everybody, seemed like the right idea. You know, you get the experienced players to buy you some time, and then you bring in the 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 young guys the the technical guys and you finish shop and you get a point or you get all three points they first 45 minutes was ugly but it was scoreless that was that was a, a positive if you could which is as, as crazy as it that sounds and then they didn't really come in with the uh the effort in the second half we can we can have revisionist history and say well if it was a different 11 i will tell you this it doesn't matter if you know, the fans, 
the fanboys, the, the fans that are screaming for the Europe-based players to all play, let me tell you, those guys that did come in that were European-based or the young generation were not going to deliver. This was a disconnect. If we started Luca De La Torre and Gianluca Busio and Tyler Adams and Matthew Hoppy and Ricardo Pepe, I think it would have been the same result. And that's why this is on Greg Berhalter. Because he didn't have his team ready. And this is a massive screw-up because this was a game that if you got the result, you could be with your feet up for World Cup qualifying come early 2022. You will have done the results if you beat Costa Rica. And it's not far-fetched to say they could have won these. Uh, By the way, the Costa Rican game now becomes an absolutely terrifying proposition because... You have a team low on confidence. I think at home they will get the result, and Costa Rica hasn't been great, although they have the best goalkeeper in the region, which is, I mean, at least you have to get a shot on goal, which they didn't get against Panama. But if you get shots on goal, you're going to be facing a much better goalkeeper. That This is completely on Greg Berhalter. It doesn't matter who played. It really doesn't matter. They were not ready. And to think that these kids who haven't played a lot, I'm getting people on Twitter telling me Luca De La Torre would have made a difference. Luca De La Torre has played 12 minutes for the national team. You think he's going to go there in Panama in those conditions where everyone just looked, yeah, looked like they already played a game by the time they took the fields. They didn't have it. They didn't have the eye of the tiger. This was uh, when you're when you're gauging teams, players' workloads. Uh, you keep that in mind. You you certainly play your best players, and I truly believe that we could have had our A team and it would have probably been the same maybe a little different but this is why I'm worried even more so this is a bigger problem because you know Greg Berhalter he wasn't my first choice I wanted Tata Martino Greg Berhalter uh, uh, is part of the the big U.S. machine he has earned it he has we talked to to Franklin about it you know this U.S. team has all these players in place that's a take I haven't really heard that you maybe you look for an an, an advanced idea, a, a really established world global coach. And as I said it, I think this is a team that coaches want to coach because the talent is there. All the pieces are in place. But this is a really a situation that should put Greg Berhalter a bad result away from being dismissed because we can't screw around at this point. We have to make the World Cup. It would just, it would demolish the progress or or really not it, it would not redirect the situation here ahead of the biggest date for 2026 we have to we have to deliver this is the biggest responsibility for a u.s team ever 2018 was a disaster but you kind of it's a bitter pill that you had to swallow you grin and bear it but now you there, there's no there's no there's no alternative and Greg Berhalter has to understand it. And I didn't like what he said afterwards about, well, yeah, they didn't really have He kind of passed off on it. And I said, no, this is, we've got to be serious. You've got to say, if we have guys play like this, they will not be called up again. If you're not ready, if you don't push back to a team, because Panama pushed the U.S. and the United States never pushed back. USA never complained about the refereeing. They didn't have the leaders. They didn't have a Chris Armas. They didn't have a Jermaine Jones kind of guy who would get angry. They don't have a Clint Dempsey. We need some anger. We need guys to take responsibility here. This is a cataclysmic result. I don't want to oversell it, but I, I guess I do. Got to be better. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. We'll get further into it because uh, I do want to uh, pop over 
I don't want to extend this longer. We'll be back. Tactical Manager will be on the show next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. On behalf of everyone here that makes the Soccer OG possible, the podcast, Placido Domingo. Thank you.